Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Yvonne Young. Um, I am also known as Q's wife, who's the handsome bass player back there. <laughs> um, I will be reading the scripture this morning. It's coming from Luke chapter 6, um, verses 27 through 36. And the word reads, But to you who listen, who are listening, excuse me, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Praise for those who mistreat you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Excuse me, i got to get my words together. <laughs> if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. May God add a blessing to the hearing, understanding, and doing of his word. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. That was a lot. She did great, didn't she? <laughs> ah, feels good in here this morning. Am I right? Good job. Worship. I love it. Hey, a couple things to celebrate. One, uh, thank you to everybody who came out Monday night to trivia at Diablos. Make some noise if you were there. It was a rowdy bunch. I tell you, I think we kicked everybody. It was just us. I think we like took over the place. Lots of people. We had a ton of fun. And we also raised, was it $400, Jessica? 400 bucks, yep, from just hanging out and playing trivia. So that's awesome, right? But that's also a bit of who we want to be, especially during this season right now. I know with uh, a lot of people, you've got kids, young kids, if you've got students, if you're a teacher, whatever. I know May can be nuts. Am I right? I've heard somebody, heard somebody call it May-cember the other day, which makes sense. You've got to buy all this stuff for people, right? So we know May can be crazy. You know, June's can be nuts with travel and vacations and all that. So we really just want to, like, Keep this time kind of low-key, but make an effort just to hang out, just casual kind of hang out. So that was one of them. We did trivia night. I think the next one coming up is a planting arrangement event. Am I right? Jack, you're leading us through that, aren't you? So if you don't have a green thumb and you'd like to have a little bit more of a green thumb, uh, that can be something to come check out. I think it's June 6th, right? Details and all that are in the app. But we just want to hang out this summer. And then in the fall, we've got some plans for some classes and some studies that'll take place during the week, get a little bit more robust, right? But for the spring and summer, we're just going to kick it. Does that sound good? Yeah? I got some other exciting news some of you might have saw or you've heard, but we closed on the loan on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. That is awesome news. That means construction can start anytime. So hopefully really soon we'll see some I hate cutting down trees, you know, but we have to, right? We'll see some trees coming down, see some earth getting moved, but we are close. And the most generous estimate I've heard, or I guess the most optimistic, uh, is that we could be in this building by the end of the year. Now that's like, listen, listen, 
Pump the brakes. I probably should have said that, but listen, it's my job to be optimistic, and I can't help it. I'm optimistic, right? But that's just, I'm so excited for that. And I know, man, y'all have been in this thing from the beginning. I can't believe that we're already here, but at the same time, it's felt long. Am I right? Uh, I just, I'm, I'm so pumped for that. So thank you. Uh, that is in no way a finish line, though. You hear me? The starter pistol just went off, okay? So we need as many people as possible to not just show up and, you know, be here, but to throw your hat in the ring. You know, if you really believe that the world needs a church like Emmaus, and I think we do, we need you to help us, you know, especially during this season to contribute, participate, and be a part of things. All right. So if you haven't yet made a pledge, that's something that you would like to do. The easiest way to do it is through the app. Stop out of the connect table. We can walk you through that. All right. Thank you, though, for my TED Talk. Now let's get into the sermon. Yeah. So we're in a series. If you're just now joining us, we've been calling it cardio. We've been spending a long time talking about the heart, right? Remember the first series we did, The Heart of the Matter? We talked about some of the stuff that gets stuck in our hearts, right? But during this series, we've been being more proactive. We're talking about some spiritual cardio, you know, some practices and disciplines that we can fold into our lives to strengthen our hearts. You know, the heart, the human heart, the organ, it's pretty remarkable. It's not all that big, but the size of your fist. Hold up a fist. It's about how big your heart is, right? So it's not, it's not huge, but boy, is it powerful. Do you know every day your heart generates enough energy to drive a truck 20 miles? Yeah, your heart. In a lifetime, that'd be enough energy to get to the moon and back. Just you and your heart. It's powerful, right? Every single day, it beats about 100,000 times, and it carries about six quarts of blood throughout the body. It's a powerful little organ. Wouldn't you agree? And one of the most interesting phenomena I learned about this past week regarding our hearts is how they have a tendency to sync up with each other. Have you heard about this? People's heartbeats will actually sync up from being in proximity with each other. There's a study that was done by a group of researchers at the University of California, Davis. They found out that couples' heart rates will actually synchronize when they're just sitting quietly together in a room, like romantic couples. People have been together for a while. Isn't that beautiful? It's kind of like, oh, you can say it. It started over here, and then somebody, like, shut it down. Just go for it. Aw. Aw. It's sweet, right? And what they did was uh, after they had the couples kind of hang out and they monitor heartbeats, they mixed it up. And so each person was par- paired with a stranger, like, rather than their partner, and it didn't happen. Their heart rates didn't sort of fall in step with each other. But the synchroniz- synchronization isn't just limited to romantic partners. Researchers have also observed this happening when strangers listen intently to the same story. So I can imagine it's happening now because y'all are just listening so intently, right? Humans don't always see eye to eye, but it doesn't take all that much for our hearts to start to beat as one. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. Again, all throughout this series, we've been talking about spiritual cardio, spiritual practices that can strengthen what the scriptures call our hearts. Now, again, I'm going to repeat this every single week. When the Bible talks about our hearts, it's not talking about the organ. It's talking about our spirit. It's talking about the deepest sense of who we are. It's the you that's aware of you. And what spiritual practices have been for people for thousands of years, people of faith, has been ways for which we can strengthen that part of us. We can open it more and more to the presence of God. We can be more aware of who we are and sort of live from the inside out. So far, we've talked about a lot of traditional practices, 
You know, things like silence, solitude, reflection, prayer, Sabbath. I love today. I got greeted quite a few times with manuha. Y'all practiced some manuha last week, a little Sabbath, right? Today's practice is a little different. It's not traditional in the sense that you would find it included in a list of like conventional spiritual practices, but I would argue that it is core to what it means to be a Jesus follower. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, I remember that, right? Jesus summarizes his whole vision for the life of faith with this instruction. I'm sure you're familiar with it. You heard it in the passage that was just read from Luke chapter 6. But Jesus says in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right? It's commonly referred to as the golden rule. But this morning, I want us to approach it as a golden practice. Because I would argue that it's meant to be something, not that we just admire, right? Not something we just put on a coffee mug. But it's meant to be the central practice for us as followers of Jesus. Say it with me one more time. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. See, I have found that doing that, practicing the golden rule, man, it can and it does shape our hearts in so many profound ways. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Developing a heart posture that is more ready and willing to beat and sink with others. That's where we're going. You ready? Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into it. God, you know what I love so much? Is that there are the words that I say whenever we preach a sermon, but then there's the way your spirit speaks to to each person in this room. And you're going to say things that I don't say to them. That's really cool. You fill in the gaps. You take it deeper. And so I'm just going to ask you to do that. Because the truth is we all need to hear this word, but we might need to hear it for different reasons. And so I'm going to trust you to translate, to do that. Just open us up right now, because that's the thing that matters most. That's the part that we do control, is that we can open up our hearts to you. So help us do that this morning, to be open to what you have to say, to be ready to hear it, receive it, be changed by it. Man, we just thank you so much for being involved. This isn't all up to us. That you're constantly uh, working in us, through us, for us, on our behalf. We do that now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's start by making sure we appreciate just how golden this teaching is from Jesus. You know, where the golden rule really comes to life is when you consider it in its context. Like when you place it next to other maxims or another, other standards of ethics, right, throughout history. In fact, ethicists and sociologists, they point out that historically speaking, there are basically like three major ethical standards that humans have sort of lived by during different periods of history, right? The first rule is what is referred to as the bronze rule or sometimes the wooden rule, And it goes something like, do unto others as they do unto you. Right? This is tit for tat. This is eye for eye. This is, you hurt me, and so I'm going to hurt you in a similar way. Right? It's payback rule. You familiar with this? Some are like, yep, where I work. This is the rule. Right? It is. This is known as the bronze rule. But it doesn't just work with the negative stuff. 
It also works with the positive stuff. You compliment me, I compliment you, right? You buy my kid a birthday present, I buy your kid a birthday present for the same amount of money (laughs) or a little bit more, right, so that you are in debt to me. You get this? This is the bronze rule, and sociologists actually say that it's the lowest form of human maturity. Yeah, yeah. We all, middle school kids, right? You see, because we don't usually stay there, do we? Like, the, the, the bad thing about the bronze rule is when it, it was actually the first human law ever recorded, Hammurabi's code, this is it, eye for an eye. And it was kind of radical for its time because what it did, it put a limit on retaliation. Because often what would happen is, you know, you burn down my house, then I don't just burn down your house, I burn down your barn, right? We always take it a step further. That's the problem with the bronze rules. It doesn't really keep that in check. And you've seen that, particularly with middle school kids. You push me, I push you a little harder, right? Then you hit me with a chair, and it just escalates, right? So the bronze rule really doesn't work all that well. But the second rule is referred to as the silver rule. And it goes something like this. Don't do unto others what you would not have them do unto you. Basically, if you don't want them to do it to you, don't do it to them, right? Now, this law or maxim was circulating heavily just before the time of Jesus. In fact, there's this sort of famous story that the rabbis used to tell about this Gentile. And this story was real popular, like like decades before Jesus. But this Gentile, who's a non-Jewish person, was traveling through Israel, and he wanted to learn from, at the time, who was the most famous rabbi you know, in the world, Rabbi Hillel. So he sought out Rabbi Hillel and he said, listen, I'll convert to Judaism. You know, I'll I'll worship Yahweh if you can explain the entire Torah to me while standing on one foot. And Hillel famously said to him, "Here, here, here you go, on one foot. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That's the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and study. That's pretty cool, right? Essentially, this law states do no harm. And it represents a massive leap forward in terms of ethical standards, right? And you can find versions of this law all over the world in like just about every religion. Confucius said something, you know, similar to this. You can find it in Buddhism. The Stoics had a similar maxim. This rule was all over the ancient world just before the time of Jesus. And it was a good and a beautiful thing. But it's not the same as the golden rule. The golden rule goes further, takes this a step further. Think about it. The silver rule is phrased in the negative, isn't it? The golden rule is stated in the positive. The silver rule is about what you don't do. The golden rule is about what you do do. (laughs) Sorry, do do. I wrote it and I was like, don't smile when you say it. But I could feel it coming from a mile away. But it's positive. It's active, you know. And some would say this is a matter of semantics. That it's not really a big deal. But I would argue it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Because there's a world of difference between not causing harm or suffering, but then actively doing something about the harm and the suffering. Do you see the difference there? And Jesus illustrated this rule over and over again in his life. And I think the most helpful one, I reference it a lot, is the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. You familiar with this parable? I talk about it enough, 
But I think it's the best illustration of how radical the golden rule actually is. You know, the guy gets mugged and beat up on the side and left for dead on the side of the road, right? You have two religious people who walk by and see him there and they decide not to do anything about it. What rule are they obeying? That's the silver rule. It's easy to go, oh, yep, yep, I see you're in trouble. I see you're hurting. I didn't do it, so I'm not responsible. I'm just going to keep on about my way. Sounds pretty American to me. Then you just kind of take care of the people under your roof. That's who you're responsible for, right? Just your nuclear family. And if they're in trouble, well, they're not under my roof. I don't feel responsible for them, right? But Jesus says, who is the hero in this story? It's the Samaritan, the one who didn't cause the harm, but who walks by and sees somebody in need and then does something, inconveniences themselves, stops whatever they were doing, goes to help and puts them up and helps them at great cost to themselves. This is the golden rule put into practice. It's when you actually make an effort to not just live your life tuned into your own heart, but to get outside of yourself and consider the other, consider things from their perspective, consider their well-being, and then act accordingly. The thing is, Jesus didn't just teach this. He embodied it. He lived it. In fact, one of my favorite encounters with Jesus happens in the next chapter, after chapter 6 in Luke. It takes place in chapter 7. And where Jesus gets invited over to a Pharisee's house. You know, Pharisees were, of course, the religious elite of their day. They saw themselves as like the moral guardians of their culture. And we all know Jesus famously didn't get along with them very well. Right? They, they had their, you know, their issues, their, their conflict. But while they're reclining during dinner, a woman entered the house. How many of you are familiar with this story? A woman comes into this dinner party uninvited. Right? Just walks right into it. All these super religious people, and she just barges right in. And she goes and she stands over Jesus' feet, and she's just weeping. She's weeping. I mean, this would have been like, what is happening right now? She just sort of barges right in. And we're told that she lived a sinful life, which is a nice way of saying that she's a prostitute. And right there in front of all these hyper-religious people, she begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. And then she dries his feet with her hair. And she takes this jar of perfume, which probably would have been a tool of her trade, and she just puts it all over his feet. I mean, they really feel that. Because, you know, to me, her audacity, that's audacity, don't you think? I mean, what would move you to do something like that? You know what it tells me? This wasn't their first encounter. I can't believe this was their first. No. They met before this. There was a previous encounter. You know, maybe it was a time, you know, Jesus was at a tax collector's party. He went to those too. And women in that trade were known to visit those kind of parties. And so maybe it was there. And instead of objectifying her and treating her like an object, maybe there was something about Jesus' presence in her, interaction with her that made her feel like a person. Like she mattered, like she was somebody. Whatever it was, there was some sort of previous encounter that I think inspired this moment. Some extension of grace. And of course, the Pharisees didn't like this, did they? They get all up in arms over what's happening. They can't believe that Jesus is letting her do this because it's just embarrassing, right? In fact, one of the Pharisees even thinks to himself, if this man really were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. Jesus, using his Jedi mind tricks, 
He goes on to tell this powerful parable about the grace of God. And the encounter ends with Jesus reminding this woman of her standing before God, that, that her sins have been sent away, that she's not defined by her worst mistakes, she's forgiven. And of course, the religious folks, what do they scoff at this, right? But it's so obvious to me that Jesus and the Pharisees both looked at this woman differently, didn't they? They had a different heart posture. You see, the Pharisees only see her from their perspective, from where they're standing. They look at this woman and all they see is a problem. Somebody who is undermining family values. Somebody who needs to be taken care of. Somebody who needs to be dealt with. They can only see her for what she currently is. A woman who sells her body in order to make money. But Jesus doesn't see her that way, does he? No. He doesn't just see her from his perspective. He sees her from her perspective. He looks at her through the eyes of grace and compassion. And here's what he knows because he's willing to do that. He knows that there is way more to her than what is obvious. There is way more to her than what she is currently doing. You see, what Jesus knows is that she has a backstory. She's got a prequel. Y'all got one of those too, don't you? I mean, so much of who you are is a product of what's happened before now, isn't it? Or what hasn't happened before now. See, things happened to get her where she was. Truth is, no seven-year-old Jewish girl wakes up and says, you know what I want to be when I grow up? A prostitute. No. Things happened to get her there. She probably had dreams, right? Aspirations, things that she wanted to do with her life, the kind of relationship she wanted to have, how she wanted things to go, but then life happened, didn't it? Life happened. And things didn't turn out that way. Somewhere along the way, dreams died. And we have no idea what it was. She could have been married. And her husband might have passed away. And she's left all alone. This was the only way she could take care of herself. Or maybe she was sold into it and she was a kid. That happened too. Or maybe she somehow got caught up in it, a long line of bad choices on her part. Regardless, there was a backstory. There was a prequel. And Jesus, embodying the golden rule, is able to consider that. And realize there is way more to this woman than, than anybody can see or understand. And what he does is he imagines life from her perspective and he extends to her not what she deserves, but what she needs. Grace. Grace. Before I start talking about us, I want to say this. This is who Jesus reveals God to be. Don't forget that. And I have so many conversations with people nowadays, and I'm thankful for it. It happens in the gym. It happens all over the place when they find out I'm a pastor. And you just you get this sense that they're still they're, they're done. They're not going anywhere. They don't really want to go anywhere. They talk to me about that, but they're still interested. They're still so interested in spirituality. And, God, and they're like, I just I, I have such a hard time with this picture of God that I was handed when I was a kid, you know, who actually doesn't like me. You know, it's like even the way they start talking about it all, and I, I feel it too. It's like, uh, you know, Jesus did his best to convince God, right, to like us, right? It's just, just for Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus, God would still really want to smite you, right? You know, and so even if we come to faith and we accept Jesus, we kind of still feel like, well, if God really did what God wanted to do, my life would just be miserable. I mean, how many of you, I went to bed praying the sinner's prayer every night because you're terrified. Man, if I fall asleep, if I die in my sleep and I haven't said, asked for forgiveness for everything that I've done, Right? 
Listen, to be a Christian means to allow Jesus to radically redefine who we believe God to be. And Jesus extending grace to this woman is a picture of what God is actually like. God does not see you as your worst mistakes. And in fact, God doesn't even hold that against you. Even if you haven't asked him for forgiveness, guess what? God doesn't hold any of that against you. And what I have found is that when you come to trust that, receive that, you don't have to hold it against you either. There's freedom there. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be rescued. It's mean to be convinced that God really looks like Jesus. And God feels towards me the way Jesus feels towards people. But let's talk about us for a little bit. That's really what I want to talk about. I'm talking about us, right? Because listen, if Jesus embodied this, then as his followers, we should too, shouldn't we? We should be golden rule kind of people. This past week, I saw a bumper sticker that I actually liked. Not a big fan of bumper stickers. I don't like stickers, period. It's just a weird thing, okay? Let's back off. But I love what it said. It said, if God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn it, I doubt he sent you. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? It comes from, first, it comes from John chapter 3. Most famous verse in the Bible. Y'all know it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. I actually like the next verse more, which is where this bumper sticker comes from. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And that word saved is sozo, and it means made well, healed, whole. I love that. If God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn it, I doubt he sent you. So let's talk about us. How do we turn this rule into a practice? Some cardio. I think that's what it's meant to be. You know, and a lot of the disciplines and practices we've talked about so far are kind of like, they're like preemptive practices. You know, the things you do in order to prepare. Anybody play football in the room? Like playing football when I was, you know, in high school, it's like you have those, the drills you do every single day. You know, you, even though you've been in a three-point stance your whole life, you're still going to spend time learning how to sit in a three-point stance. You do the same things over and over and over again, right? There's that kind of practice. But then we also had situational practice. Fran, you were a football coach, right? And so sometimes what coaches would do is put you in a specific scenario, a two-minute drill, right? It's two minutes left in the game. You're down by six. You have this many timeouts, right? And they would have you practice that over and over again, too, so that when you got into the situation, the scenario, you kind of knew what to do, right? This is kind of one of those practices. This is what we're talking about is sort of how we're supposed to act in the moment, particularly when we're dealing with difficult people. Because what's the context in Luke chapter 6? You heard it all throughout that passage. Jesus is talking about how we interact with who? Enemies, people who are difficult for us. And so I think what's important for us is, can you imagine developing a sort of heart posture that whenever we're dealing with difficult people, you got some of those? Think about them right now, right? What if instead of seeing that as a moment to just endure or avoid altogether, what if we could approach it as a way to get some cardio in, as a way to actually strengthen our hearts and to become different sorts of people? I think that's the invitation. So some spiritual cardio as it relates to the golden rule. You ready? When I hear that, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I find myself really fired up with some people, right? First thing I think, what, easy for me to think about now, i got to be mindful of then, is all my double standards. 
We got those two, right? Double standards. You know, we have all these double standards. Like for me, particularly when it comes to how we interpret other people's behavior or motives. So here's a, f- a, fun, a fun example, funny example, lesser example. Like for me when I'm driving, I've told you before, like I'm a patient person except for when I'm driving. I just, like things drive me nuts. They do. But I got all these double standards. It's like when somebody doesn't use a turn signal. That drives me nuts, by the way. Like when you're sitting there at a stop sign and you got to turn right, which is easy to do, and somebody's coming from a long way off, and they don't use their turn signal, and they turn right, right before you, and you're like, I could have went eight times, you know? Use your turn signal. I can be so ridiculously stingy towards people when it comes to how they drive. But what do I do when I do the exact same thing? I'm pretty generous with myself, aren't I? You know what I mean? It's like when I forget to use my turn signal, it's like, wow, I was kind of in a hurry. Just forgot. Like, give me a break, right? We tend to be really stingy in how we interpret other people's behavior or what they do. But, man, we can be really, we demand grace when it comes to us. Like, for instance, you, you interact with somebody who's kind of quiet, sort of standoffish. How do you interpret their behavior? Man, I stuck up. They didn't want to talk to me. That's rude, right? But what about, what if you knew somebody thought that about you after they had an interaction, and you found out they thought you were snobbish and stuck up? Wait, what? I was tired. I'm shy. I get nervous, right? You expect generosity when it comes to how other people interpret your behaviors. Y'all, man, Radical self-awareness is so important when it comes to spiritual formation. And to become aware of all these weird double standards that we have, you know, when it, when it comes to how we treat other people. How would you want other people to interpret your behavior? Right? Do that to them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So the, one of the things this does is makes me aware of all my double standards. Right? But ultimately what this is about Putting the golden rule into practice. It's about de-othering the other. De-othering the other. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. One of the things that this does is it calls us to imagine our life as the other. To take a moment and consider life inside someone else's skin. And this has so much potential to make our hearts bigger. To make them stronger. I remember, some of you have heard this story if you've been through group life before, but uh, to me, this was one of those moments where this just first really clicked. It was right when Lindsay and I had, uh, just got married. We were living in Ohio in a tiny one-bedroom apartment. It was like, how many square feet? Less than 900 square feet. It was small. Small little apartment. And it's one of those things that's like cheaply built, you know. Uh, so they just come in and like change the carpet and put new paint up and it looks really nice. But you really know like it's not very nice. Like walls are paper thin. You can hear everything. You can smell everything that's happening, you know, in the room next door. We had this guy who lived below us. We're going to call him Bud, right? I'll say Bud. There you go. Bud, he lived in the apartment right beneath us, and he had this little dog. And whenever he was gone, he would put the dog in his bathroom and close the door. And that dog would bark the entire time Bud was gone, right? And we just bark, just constantly bark. One time, Bud was gone all weekend. <laughs> And that dog, I remember the first night, that dog barked all night long. You remember? And it sounded like he was in our bathroom. I mean, this thing's so thin. And we didn't get any sleep. And, of course, we weren't feeling good about this the next day. And so I decided to call the management. I'm going to get the management involved, right? So I did. I called them. I said, listen, the guy below us has got a dog, locks him in the bathroom. He's been gone, like, for more than a day. And we just, he just nonstop barking. Like, okay, we'll take care of it. Don't talk to him. We'll, we'll address this. So sorry. We'll make it right. Right, so a bit later in the day, I get a phone call from management, and like, okay, we talked to Bud, and uh, here's the thing: he's really upset. He's really mad at you. 
And so if you see him, don't talk to him because he seems kind of irate. And I'm like, what? I'm like, you tell Bud to come on upstairs. We'll have a little chat, right? We can handle this ourselves. I'm like, he's mad at us? Like, you're the one keeping us up with your dog, you know, all night. He's like, he's just, he's fuming, you know. I don't know that he, he just feels kind of un, unsteady. So do, just don't talk to him. You know, we'll, we'll take care of this some other way. And I'm like, whatever. But that night, we're sitting. It had to be a Friday night because remember we were watching Dateline. That's what we did on Friday nights. It's exciting times in the Cunningham household. And it's, it's late. It's like 9, 30, 10 o'clock, whatever. And I hear a knock on our door. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, about to say hi to Bud, you know. And I'm rehearsing the fight in my, you know, my head. Like, what I'm going to say, he's going to say this, I'm going to say that. I'm just, you know. And so I'll never forget. I open the door, and he sees me. And this is, I just, I like this detail. But he just looks at me. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth, he goes, you a personal trainer or something? Like, <laughs> I look way different back then than I do now, okay? It's like less round is what I say. But this instantly, smell of alcohol was about to knock me over. I mean, it was so strong. And he was barely standing up. And something happened in that moment. Like, I might have taken credit for this because I was, I was fired up. But this thought just all of a sudden came to my mind. I'm like, he lives by himself. He's there by himself. On a Friday night, who gets this drunk by themselves on a Friday night? It's a thought that just snuck into my head. And I remember thinking, what kind of life does this guy have? What's he dealing with? Just in a second, just allowing that thought in to kind of just land and settle. And my, my, my posture towards him changed. I went all chummy with him. But just to consider that for a second, to consider the other, to step outside of yourself and just ask a question like that. You ever deal with difficult people? Man, just take a second. You know, what happened today to them? Where are they coming from? What are they going home to? I mean, just to, to take a moment just to consider that. It doesn't make everything okay, but I think one of the things that it does is it helps us just to just chill for a minute. You know, he and I had a really awkward conversation in the hallway. It was really weird, you know. But from that point on, we were actually friendly. I remember the power went out and there was a storm and we all hung out in the hallway together and we talked. Bud and I became buddies, you know, like this unbelievable potential. For us to just take a second, take a moment, and consider life in the other person's shoes. To de-other the other. Y'all got enemies. How much do you know about them? I really know about them. Their story. Maybe there's somebody in your life you don't see eye to eye with on something big and important in the world that everybody's talking about. You know, you're not on the same page. As people, we often have the views we have because of personal experience. We like to believe it's just because we looked at the data, right? We sort of logically came to the conclusion, come on. And nowadays, we can find data to back up whatever we want. So why did you pay attention to this data and not that data? Do you see what I'm saying? It probably will have something to do with your experience. And so when you find yourself at odds with somebody, get curious. Learn more about their experience, their story. I'm not saying you have to agree with them. But man, often it helps you have a little empathy. You might learn something in the process. I got to hurry up because we're almost out of time. We've got, we're going to receive communion, which I think is a beautiful way to wrap this up. But this is the part I want to finish with. Jesus wraps up this teaching by reminding us of God's character. Did you hear that? Of God's, how God interacts with the world. 
He says, when you do this, when you put the golden rule into practice, you are like God who is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And this connects back to so much of what we talked about all throughout this series. Because this sort of life, a golden rule way of life, it flows out of our life with God. Man, as we are more and more in the presence of God, we interact with God through prayer, through silence, through reflection, we begin to change. I can bear witness to this in my own life. I really can. I've been at this Jesus thing for a while. And the longer I stay at it, the closer I feel to God, the more in step I live with the Spirit, I've found that one of the things that's happened is I have a greater capacity to extend grace, compassion, and love to people. Even people I don't necessarily like. I mean, this is one of the things that happens. It's the fruit of these practices, of the cardio. It's, I mean, Lindsay Day asked me this question. Y'all know Lindsay? She's awesome. But she asked me this question. We are kind of talking about some of this, and she knows I've been talking so much about spiritual formation because I just want this so bad for us as people. Is the world needs deeper people. Wouldn't you agree? People will be informed by more than just a 24-hour news cycle. You know, we need to be formed by really the Spirit of God, like to be people of depth and character. And she asked me, like, what's, what's your favorite thing about spiritual formation? Like, what is it about it? And it's a great question. And I said, I think it's the fruit I see. You know, it's the fruit of when we bring myself into the presence of God and I allow God to put God's finger on the things in my life that still need to change. And I reflect on really what does it mean for God to look like Jesus? And I, and I try to walk in step. Like all these things just start to happen. There's this generosity that kind of wells up in you towards other people. I mean, something I've been finding myself do recently, I recognize that I, I have a, a privilege you know, something that is an, is an advantage, and it's not fair, but, like, both my wife and I, we, you know, we work. we got three kids, but the way my, my schedule is, I have time in the morning to help get them ready. You know, I, I'm able to go. I, I plug in their Chromebooks every morning to make sure their Chromebooks are charged. But here's the thought that's come to me. I'm not taking credit for this. I start thinking about all the parents, the single parents, who because of man, how, how much they got going on, how hard it is, they don't have time for that sort of thing. And they're not able to be, not in judgment, in compassion. Does that make sense? And I pray for them. I'm praying for these, for single parents all over, but I don't even know them. But I'm just, I'm praying for them, you know, because I'm like, man, I can't imagine. That's the fruit of formation, is we spend time with the Spirit of God through all this stuff. One of the things you start finding is you have patience for people that you used to not have patience for. You have grace towards people. It used to be hard to offer grace. I mean, anybody know what I'm talking about? And so what, I'm challenging y'all. Don't just listen to this on Sunday and like the way that it sounds, but try doing it. Try actually, and you tell me it's hard. You're right, it is hard. Living a beautiful life is hard, <laughs> but it's worth it. It's worth it. And I think this is about more than just our own self-actualization. This is about the church being a different sort of presence in the world, being a different sort of people who have this supernatural ability to love their enemies. Man. And so practice this cardio like your life depends on it, because it does. That's my heart for this. And so we're going to actually finish by receiving communion. And I'll fight the ushers to come forward. But I love that we finish with communion. Because one of the reasons we come to this table is to receive grace. Right? Grace. Grace. The grace of God meets us through the bread and the cup. Sometimes we need to be confronted with grace, don't we? We don't just need to be comforted with grace. We need to be confronted with grace. Confronted with all the ways in which our heart, heart has grown hard. And so that's the invitation this morning as you come forward to receive communion. Let's invite the Spirit 
to mess you up in all the right sort of ways. Maybe that's what you need to do is just sort of invite God to kill that in you, that smallness, that bitterness, that hardness of heart. The part of you that judges, that holds grudges. The part of you that's stingy towards people. Invite the Spirit to kill that. And then to do something new there. To make you be the kind of person that you could do unto others as you would do unto them. And you know what's wild? Jesus actually took it even further than that, didn't he? This is it in John. I want you to love people the way I have loved you. Let's call that the platinum rule. (laughs) That's that's the mission, is to become those kind of people who loving people in that sort of way becomes the most normal thing imaginable. And so as you receive communion, invite the Spirit to do that in you in a new sort of way. Can we do that? Let's finish by praying the Lord's Prayer together. Will you pray this with me? will be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever Amen. Man, I had to leave out so many things, but this is from a trust the Spirit just to continue to speak to you this week. As you reflect, what does it mean to be people? You know, whenever you're at odds with somebody, and you're going to be at odds with people this week, so just take a second and consider, what does it look like for me to do unto them in this moment as I would want them to do to me? Not only does this influence the way we deal with our enemies, but think about the people we love the most. When you're at odds with them, right, to take a second and consider, things from their perspective. I'm going to just trust that the Spirit takes this in all sorts of different directions for you this week as you continue to think on it and reflect on it. But let's be golden practice kind of people. Amen? Don't forget the Circle of Welcome welcome informational meetings happening in the nursery if you want to drop in there. Some of you small group leaders, we're going to meet right afterwards for a huddle over at Chapala's. Best chicken soup in town. telling you right now. Go ahead and head over there as soon as you uh, get done here. Thanks for coming, church. We'll see you all next week.